Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel over-churched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Good morning. Today's reading is Matthew uh, chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, beyond the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he cured them there. Some Pharisees came to him and to test him, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that the one who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they no longer are two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her? He said to them, It was because you were so hard-hearted that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And so I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for unchastity and marries another commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, is is it better to marry? But he said to them, not everyone can accept this teaching but only those to whom it is given. For there are Enoch's who have been so from birth, and there are Enoch's who have been made Enoch's by others, and there are Enoch's who have, been made, who have made themselves Enoch's for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone who accepts this who can. Thanks be to God. Amen. Good morning. My name is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I currently serve as the interim site pastor here at Urban Village Church Edgewater. Will you pray with me? God who stirs up trouble all the time. We pray, God, that you stir up in our hearts, stir up in our community, Continue to challenge us and push us so that we may, God, reflect your kingdom even more so. That we may learn to include, fold in, and welcome more and more people whom you delight in, God. And so we offer this time and ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So our understanding of gender and gender variance 
has changed a lot just in a short amount of time in the last 2,000 years because before Jesus, ancient Jewish scholars argued about the difference of people besides just simply categories of male and female. There were those, the scholars believed, that were born with genitalia that did not clearly identify with a sex, and this was sometimes called a naturally born eunuch. And there were sometimes children, children born with bodies resembling both male and female, and so that at the time they were called androgynous. And in ancient Israel, there were children born with an unclear sexual marker. And so scholars decided to play wait and see if this child would present an identity blossomed over time. So there were also young men whose genitalia was crushed or castrated at a young age, preventing them from experiencing puberty. All these forms of individual expression, and even more because scholars of ancient Israel believed there were about six different gender identities, were discussed and agreed upon as expressions of the human form before Jesus. Ancient rabbis then developed these laws and rituals about inclusion and exclusion in worship. So why why then did we move away from this myriad understanding of gender? And how or should we return to, this, uh, to what was named as, origin, uh, as original by early followers of God? And spoiler alert, none other than Jesus talks about this. Jesus speaks about how to include people in the kingdom of God and in worship. It's during this discourse we read today among scholarly leaders. Jesus is asked to contribute to this ancient debate that scholars had been having and rehashing and love to sit around just having talks about uh, late into the evening. How bad does a woman's sin have to be before a man can divorce her? You see, men were going around divorcing women who, for being too old and too loud and too opinionated and too slutty and too messy and too strong-willed. I probably would have been a divorced woman. A divorced woman was considered tainted and unlovable and untrustworthy and deserving of her suffering because then she would be without financial support of a spouse. She was doomed to, star- to starvation and a life driven by desperation. So Jesus was asked to pass this litmus test, interpreting a law from Moses for the present day. And in true Jesus fashion, he claps back that instruction from pre-Moses and decides to stretch all the way back to not one, but two creation accounts. Remember, there were two. How exciting. Genesis 1, he says, God created humankind in his image. In the image of God created the male and female. He created them. And then in Genesis 2, he follows up saying, therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife. And the two become one flesh, one flesh, no longer two, but women are elevated, lifted to equal with men that do not deserve harsh treatment or being ripped and thrown aside. A man cannot threaten divorce as a way of control to abuse a woman into submission. They are one, Jesus says, created equal. But In true Jesus fashion, he doesn't stop there. Because these disciples, this ragtag, rough and tumble bunch of sons of mothers, they think they can outsmart the system, joking maybe, maybe they say, uh, 
The abusive women, they snicker about with one another saying, whoa, Brosif, we got it. We'll just not marry. Notice that they don't say they'll, they'll remain celibate and refrain from sex. They just want to get, avoid the hassle of relationship. And Jesus drags his dirty hair, grabs with his dirt under his fingernails, shaking his head at their stupidity and says, no, you don't understand. For there are eunuchs, who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Let anyone who hears this maybe possibly figure it out. While debating male and female as God created them, Jesus tosses in like a salad these other categories, ones represented and acknowledged throughout the centuries. So he pulls in these ancient Jewish rabbinic texts and ancient Jewish rabbinic uh, teachings. So he joins this long scholarly debate of male and female and other. There are those eunuchs, he says. And eunuch, let's be clear, is an umbrella term for differing in gender presentation and identification. Jesus says there are those eunuchs from birth who have always known they are different than what they present, whose bodies give away that they present different from what others assume. Jesus goes on to describe eunuchs. Again, remember, this is an umbrella term for those different in gender expression and identity. There are those eunuchs who are abused by systems of power, some just trying to follow the calling of God in their lives. And it's this first category that Jesus talks about, those from birth. It doesn't have to be justified bodily. They don't have to have different bodily changes as individuals, but they are people whose gender can be affirmed over time. And so we have to remember Genesis, where Jesus pulls his text from is only the beginning of the story. This is like the big bang that begins the exposition of the story. You remember expositions of stories in uh, English class? It's the beginning, the story of creation, the opening line starting to lead to the rising action and the complication, the climax being Jesus. You and I continue to live in the reversal and falling action, looking for God's resolution. The stories of creation and the opening lines uh, doesn't say God created male and female and then it was over. No, the story of the God's people and people following God begins to include, as the story progresses, new characters, people with different motivations, people with new relationships. So God's creation can be fruitful. God's creation has multiplied. And then it starts to include all these wild and weird and sweaty and sexual and beautiful human beings. And so we see Jesus who tells us there is more to God's creation of God's creatures then meets the eye. We know that there are creatures in our world that do not fit into the initial creation account. That's why we know God continues to create and add on. At the end of a long day, at the end of fear-filled nights, I regularly turn to my best friend, Netflix, for comfort. When my anxiety is raging and my problems seem insurmountable, I like to click on shows about the vastness of the planet and the depths of the ocean to remind me of my smallness in creation, that my problems are not so insurmountable. And in these late night binge sessions with my BFF Netflix, 
I learned new, fascinating things about God's dynamic creation, things I never thought possible. Did you know the Nemos of the world, the clownfish, Pixar didn't tell you this, but let me tell you the clownfish are a matriarchal culture. That means there is a strong female fish leading a school of male fish. And when the fighting female dies, one of the males changes gender, becomes and assumes the leadership of the female of the pack. And it's not just with clownfish. It's kind of like everywhere we see this in creation. Fish like waruses and parrotfish and angelfish, gobyfish, emperor, emperors, hawkfish, bass. And then it kind of spills out into the rest of the sea, corals and lobsters. And then it stretches onto the land with slugs and frogs and lizards, turtles, butterflies, even cardinals change gender through creation continues to grow and change, adapting for survival, to continue to display the wonders of God's universe so that all can experience and see the evidence of God's creation. So God didn't just stop with the sea creatures and those creepy things on the ground, but God allowed creation to flourish into all kinds of creative ways of being, all these parts of God's kingdom. And we know this to be true. We know this to be true in the animal world, but we also know this to be true among ourselves. Much later, after the origins of creation, the prophet Isaiah addresses the people who are considered outsiders of the community of God, those who were foreigners, those who were not born Jewish by bloodline, but decided to follow God in their life. And also, Isaiah addresses the eunuchs, those with different bodies and gender identities, all of these people were grieving to God saying, we follow your laws, God. And yet you were still excluded from different types of worship, certain inclusion among your people. Why, God, do you make following a life after you so much more difficult in ancient Israel? And so God says to these people as they are grieving, in chapter 56 of Isaiah, they call me a dry tree because it appears that I do not bear fruit for the foreigner and the gender variant and the gender ambiguous. For the eunuchs and the gen- I'm paraphrasing here. <laughs> for the, the eunuchs and the gender variant and the gender ambiguous, for those who follow me and trust in my kingdom, I will give them an everlasting name, one that is even better than son or daughter. They are children of God, what humans cannot and do not include, I will include and save a place in my kingdom. And so God doesn't say, oh, it's okay, I'll change you. I'll make you into a son or a daughter. I will make you fit into a gender category that others will understand. No, God says, you are beloved and beautiful as you are. I will celebrate you in ways that others cannot. God promises space and place for those with different different gender identities than simply male or female. This includes transgender, gender fluid, gender queer, gender still figuring it out. What humans cannot include, God folds them in to God's loving arms and welcomes them into God's kingdom. And we know this to be true because we know it's promised in God's good future when God gets everything God wants, when the world is restored to rights, when justice is served, when love reigns, Revelation describes this kingdom in which God 
does not wipe away individuality, does not wipe away the uniqueness of creation. God doesn't strip away diverse beauty, but God surrounds God's self with the creatures in order that they may worship God. So too, God surrounds God's self with people from every nation and tongue. God doesn't uh, return to the male and female of the garden, but sets up what is called a new kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth that celebrates diversity of nation and tongue and skin tone and ability and sexuality and bodily makeup. Much like Isaiah, God folds in those with different gender identities and gender expressions because God's kingdom is about a raucous worship to the holiest of holies. It's about solidarity in following God. It's not about conformity and how we follow God. And so it is right. In this Black History Month, as we talk about gender and gender variance and gender expression and identity, that we remember someone you may not know. Gladys Bentley, at age 16, that was around like the early 19-teens, 1920s in American history. Was anybody there? Do you remember? Yes, you were, Ned. (laughs) Gladys Bentley, was a gender variant rock star of the Harlem stage with this loud, gruff, sometimes described as masculine voice that sounded like a horn ready to blast off. Gladys, who was born a woman dressed in tuxedos and top hats, exploring and playing up gender uh, gender expression. Gladys then flirted with audience members, causing people to wonder who or how they identified. And although we don't know what Gladys would have used in present language, what pronouns Gladys would have used, or how Gladys would have identified it with us, we do know, we do know because of history, Gladys was one of the first black American performers to challenge uh, our understanding of gender and sexuality openly on stage for all to see. And Gladys, with the language of the time, identified as a black lesbian performer who publicly married a woman, we don't know their name, in 1931. But that's not the end of Gladys' story. Unfortunately, in the 1940s and 50s, Gladys feared imprisonment and maybe their life. And so they began dressing as a woman, in dresses, leaving behind the tuxedos and the top hats leaving behind the civil marriage that they uh, participated in to marry a man and claimed to be, quote-unquote, cured as a result of taking hormones. It was a fear in the 1940s and 50s of the retaliation of the McCarthy era, a time when many performers, but just normal, everyday people, were forced into conformity. And so the McCarthy era did not spare Gladys or Gladys's creative expression of themselves. However, we know that statistically, people who are forced to disregard and disavow their gender identity are more likely, high, more likely statistically to experience depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and to die by suicide because they are not allowed to be their fullest selves whom God created them to be, but forced into a tinier box. Although Gladys did not die by suicide, and we don't know Gladys's mental health state, Gladys was forced to retreat into women's clothing that did not feel like it fit them. And that could not have been easy. But we also know that Gladys's story is not over. 
that there are people still forced to remove the clothing that feels so much more comfortable on their bodies and put on clothes that they are pressed into in order to fit into society. There are people in our military forced not to come out as transgender, not only for the fear of what it looks like when they present themselves, but for the fear of their life. And so it is important, life depends on it, that we continue to unpack and explore what gender identity means, where God affirms it, and where God affirms who we are created to be, celebrating that expression in new and creative ways as God continues to show creative expressions among us. We believe then that in God's kingdom, Gladys will be allowed to wear whatever the heaven Gladys wants. And Gladys will get us all together, rounded up to lead us in a choir singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so we give thanks for Gladys's legacy as a trailblazer of black, lesbian, gender questioning people as a beloved child of God. Will you pray with me? Holy, holy, holy God. In calling forth creation, and revealing yourself in human flesh, you pour forth your wisdom to guide us. And so God, we ask that you fill us with strength and with courage, with discernment and compassion, that we may be your instruments of justice and love and mercy in this world. That this place on earth may be as it is in heaven. And so we offer ourselves up to you. It's in the name of our brother and friend we pray, Jesus. Amen.